0: Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to Beyond the Glory Podcast. We have a very special guest on today's show. She is the wife of GDC Women's Soccer Coach Mike Giuliano. She is a homemaker and the glue for the Giulianos. Barbara Giuliana, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing fantastic. I'm I'm so happy to have you on the show here today. We we wanted to have a spouse of one of our head coaches mm-hmm. on the show, and so your your name went right to the top of my list because <laughs> you are the spouse that brought Mike to Atlanta and delivered him to GDC. So you get all the <laughs> praise and credit for all of his championships that he's won here at GDC.
1: Wow. Do you think I should tell Mike that? Hmm. We'll let him figure that okay, out. Okay, all right. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: You carry a lot of titles and responsibilities but but we'll introduce you to our grizzly audience as wife of Doctor Coach. <laughs> Did that nickname ever make it back to the household? That was one of the luckiest I've ever been with his nickname
1: no i love- I absolutely love that nickname because it 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 just describes him. It's got the doctor side of him, got the coach side of him, and so putting it together was absolutely perfect so but I... no, we don't call him doctor at home. <laughs> And we do not call him
0: coach at home fair enough. what yeah. is he is he mike is he dad is he is he yeah mike hey you
1: what dad is he? <laughs> no mike dad handsome. Yeah, oh, handsome all of those things yeah. i will
0: appreciate that one so if i can get another nickname to stick are, are you mrs dr coach no okay fair. i'm just we'll stick with barbara <laughs> yeah barbara i'm so glad you're on the show here today um i wanted to have a spouse's perspective of being a head coach yes you don't have head coach as your title <laughs> but but i'm sure you're very much a part of this program as any of our other coaches yeah. or any of our other grizzlies many of our parents and so first and foremost amongst the pandemic and everything that's going on how is the household and everybody back home
1: you know what we are very grateful that everybody's doing well our kids are scattered around the country and there's four of them that are now in atlanta which is great but uh with another son in California and one son that had recently moved here, we're just grateful that everybody is just doing great. Thank and you for asking
0: we're, we're we're so blessed, so fortunate, so glad to hear that. So glad to have you on the show here today and you you mentioned your children, so uh, we'll, we'll get to the family side of it but I, I got to have a good love story of the Julianos. How did you meet mike and and how did it, how did it all start? What was he like back in the day? <laughs>
1: So what you're seeing now, which is someone with a whole lot of energy, a whole lot of uh, zest for life. Well, that's exactly who I met first off. He actually ended up introducing himself to the boyfriend of my best friend in college. And through that introduction, they put us together and we met over dinner one night. I was nervous. But what I loved about Mike was the fact that he was super cute. A great conversationalist, a lot of fun and that was just the beginning. We started dating that next week and we were married a year later a year wow. and a half later
0: but well, that's a phenomenal story and then the, the 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 kids come along throughout the process too as well and I think what are really the story that I want to tell is how much your family has moved throughout his career all yeah. of them for the positive reasons yeah. but at, at what point did did the the, the family's uh, comings and goings and movings along with the kids get tied to all those jobs that that he's traveled around the nation doing?
1: Basically, we followed dad and Mike, um, Dr. Coach, around the soccer field. So even when the kids were born, you see, we have pictures of them in strollers being pushed along the sidelines. We'd bundle them up during the the cold weather days we'd have umbrellas when it was rainy i've got pictures of little ones that would decide hey there's dad and take off to head across the field to go see dad and have to quick bring them back over i've got some incredible memories and fun memories of kids being the the ball boys and ball girls from the time that they were probably six or seven up until even jewel are one of our um, well, adult children was helping with being a ball girl here. So it's just been part of our family culture. Just being on the sidelines, enjoying team dinners, having the players over, mixing with them. its It's been great. It's been a lot of fun.
0: I always get this sentiment from, from families of, of coaches that their sport is a part of their life. It's a part of their lifestyle. And call it what you want, a priority, a lifestyle, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, how many, give me an example of family events that are altered because of the soccer schedule? Like, <laughs> when is your anniversary?
1: Uh, preseason camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so, when do you actually celebrate that?
1: We squeeze a dinner during preseason camp, but sometimes we'll do something ahead of time. Definitely won't be doing something after because then we're right into soccer season. So, we take it one step at a time. But Mike's been fantastic about carving out time for family and so he makes it a priority that there is an anniversary dinner so maybe there'll be a weekend that would be sometime before preseason camp but it's going to be during during that dinner i'm sorry during the anniversary just because he also wants to say hey for our players take a look this is what's important family's important marriage is important so let's go ahead and model that for them
0: i know for for my family even my extended family with my parents the the question i always get about this time of the year is what are your plans for thanksgiving and my favorite answer is i have no idea and they think it's like well maybe they don't want to come home for thanksgiving like no 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 no. the women's soccer national championship is the week after thanksgiving and most most teams do their traveling thanksgiving weekend so everybody's eating turkey and watching football how many buses has Mike been on with his team going to the national championship
1: oh my goodness i think when the kids were little He was gone over Thanksgiving because he was in so many national championship uh, tournaments that he ended up being gone. And so we would create, maybe another soccer family would come over for dinner, another soccer widow, we call each other. And we'd join families, um, share meals with other people. We just kind of made it up as we went along.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the, and that would be the worst feeling is if he's home for Thanksgiving. That means they lost or not in the national championship. Exactly. So My then that's a, no other, that that's a whole other that's a whole
1: nother different dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somebody that might not be as exuberant during Thanksgiving dinner and trying to hold it together, dealing with a a loss and a disappointment. So I do have one great Thanksgiving story though. Oh, I gotta hear this. Okay, so he won they won the national championship, which is fantastic. So the team at that time decided what they wanted to do to celebrate was Let's bleach his hair. So when he got off the bus on Thanksgiving Day, he had, he looked like Billy Idol. It was just bleach blonde. But what was kind of fun with that is that we went and got a whole nother set boxes of bleach and on the front porch, Thanksgiving, we dyed Josh's hair completely blonde. We dyed Justin's hair and we stuck Lene's pigtails in the bleach and dyed the ends of her pigtails. So it became a family event. It was, it was pretty fun.
0: That is that is an awesome story, and and I think that bleeds beautifully into my next question. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Mike Giuliano's passion and his energy and his excitement level. It's unprecedented on the sidelines mm-hmm. of the Grizzly Soccer Complex. Does he still carry that same passion at home? Like, I mean, he's always come <laughs> on in and yessing and screaming and high five. Like when when dinner is served, does he still have the same passion and energy?
1: Yes. He does. There's a balance though. So he he brings a whole lot of life to our home. He brings a lot of energy, a lot of entertainment, which is fantastic. A lot of good conversation. Uh, he feels deeply about certain topics, which family and we're currently on the same page with racial justice issues as well as voter rights issues. And so, yeah, a lot of passion and energy, but home is a great place for him to just chill, debrief, uh, center a bit be the introvert that he really is, that nobody really knows. But yeah, it's, I think it's a really good place of balance for him, but he does bring a whole lot of energy to the house.
0: Yeah. That's, that's phenomenal to hear. You talk about the the, the conversation at the dinner table there. Mm-hmm. You guys had moved from Chicago to Atlanta. We'll, we'll right. get to that move in a minute. Okay. But what is that dinner conversation like three years ago when he brings to the table Things are going well at GAC, but there's this job opportunity at GGC. <laughs> how, how did that conversation go on why to take the job at GGC?
1: A lot of back and forth, just understanding, well, how, how is that gonna look? How's it gonna um, play out as far as our schedule goes, family dynamics, budget, all of the practical aspects of that, but understanding too that going back to college is something that I know is really was really near and dear to his heart. He loves the college setting. He loves, he loved his team at the high school, he loved the interaction with the, the young women there and with the coaching staff there. It was, it was a fantastic situation. But going back to a college setting and the pace um, is just something that I think just felt right. It really did. And then and being able to be at an institution like GGC really matched up with where both of our hearts are which is providing education to those that might not normally get it it it, it's taking a look at education and providing it in a different way than what's typical and that's something that we both could definitely get on board about
0: yeah well we're certainly on board that that both of you are here it's it's a pleasure to see you're smiling and cheering faces on the sidelines while while he's uh, working hard for the grizzlies (laughs) but Just as much as involved that he is, you are too as well in these Grizzlies' lives. What's your relationship with the players out there on the field here at GDC over the past three years?
1: Unfortunately, I'm not able to be in their lives as much as I would like. And that's just because just as a function of the reality of life. There's a lot to do at home. There's a lot to do in, in what I do for a living. And so when I can, I love to travel with the team. I love to have them over for dinner. I like to, in the, the season as a whole team, that's a lot of fun. But what I really appreciate is having smaller groups over in the off season so that I can really get to know them, so that I can get to know them more than just the, the ponytail and the number that's on their back, <laughs> but really get to understand who they are, uh, where they're from, what they're hoping to do, that type of thing. So I enjoy that.
0: Well, i tried to do some math and and i lost track of fingers and toes but i i started to think to myself that coach Giuliano's been coaching collegiate soccer for 30 plus years you mm-hmm. got 444 wins and the four national titles you you, you, <laughs> oh you know the whole story you, you've been through it all you've lived it right. so that was the question that i tried to formulate was how many games do you – soccer matches <laughs> do you think you witness? Because I went a step further. you get got the kids. Yeah. Then you got the club teams that he's coached to use. I'm sure you've had to endure a Liverpool match or 37 of them. So like, Several. <laughs> I think I think you've watched more soccer than Dale and I put together. Come on, <laughs> and Dale, I get paid to watch soccer, by the way. I, like, is the number over a thousand? Oh, That's probably,
1: great. probably. So I know that I've been to at least half of his games. I, you know, I try to be at all the home games and then as many playoffs as is feasible. But then yes, with um, several of our kids playing soccer, yes, there have been a whole lot of, all of high school, junior high, then all of the club soccer games. Yeah, I'd say at least more than a thousand. <laughs> Definitely, yes.
0: <laughs> I've enjoyed
1: every single one of them. Except for those in the snow. Oh, yes. And the driving rain. But yes, otherwise, hmm Very nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. is, is he, is he is, does he do the job, that's not a good question, Does he do a good job of the wins stay, come home, and the losses stay here in the building? Does does he bring those emotions home a little bit?
1: I would say that over the years, he's learned how to manage that more. So he's very passionate about about creating excellence and about having the teams do the best that they can and developing each of the players and, and how that turns into winning matches. So. With that kind of passion, the wins of course are super high. The lows are going into a place of, how can, we, how can we fix this? How can we make this player do what we know that she's capable of? And then how can we translate that into the field, into their lives? But then how do we, how do we, how do we get a win the next time? And so the wheels are always turning. And so the disappointment of a loss is definitely there, but it resurrects life I suppose by turning into how can we make this better and moving on.
0: Absolutely, and you mentioned he does a good job of unplugging, right? So whether yeah. it's preseason, in-season, off-season, whatever, does yeah. a good job of pl- unplugging. What are some of the family activities that you guys do that have nothing to do with soccer?
1: We love to hike and bike. We like to go find waterfalls wherever we can. Mike's been putting in an average of 90 miles on his bike a week wow. right now. I love to bike as well. Our last um, big trip together, we went to Alaska and biked there, which was not this summer, of course, but last summer. Sure, sure. So that was just fantastic. So we like to find things outside to do. We like to watch some of the same shows together. Uh, Right now we're spending a lot of time in voting rights, uh, volunteering to be poll observers and doing some texting and phone calls, but also uh, are dedicated to seeing that Uh, Racial justice is something that's upheld, definitely.
0: You guys are very active in the the community. We'll put it that way. But in terms of topics and challenges that face, let's call it, America in 2020, I am blown away by how active you guys are. So take us back to, Mike talks openly about it, why your family moved from Chicago to Atlanta for the longest time maybe putting words in his mouth, but chased his career, right? He had those aspirations of winning national championships yeah. and coaching at Division I level. Why the transition from Chicago to Atlanta in your, in your mind?
1: I would say there's two different parts to that. So the first part is the fact that as we became aware, as I became aware of the plight of women and girls around the world, to start with after reading the book Half the Sky by Nicholas Kristoff and Sheryl Wu That narrowed down to the topic of sex trafficking, and I did a lot of reading about situations that are around the world. But realizing that we couldn't just drop everything and and go somewhere, yes, some people do that, but practically speaking, that just wasn't gonna be part of our life. I started doing a lot more research, a lot more reading about what was really happening in the United States. And as I did that, as I dove deeply into understanding how sex trafficking affects every aspect of of this um, population—from unfortunately children, but girls and boys and men and women—in in so many different areas, and not just in big cities, but in small rural communities—that it touches every area of the country—I just thought there's a lot of work to be done here. So understanding that, I started doing a lot of volunteer work in the Chicago area, did a lot more reading, such as Refuse to Do Nothing by uh, Kimberly McAllen-Yim, who was a former student of Mike's in California. In our, our in our Backyard is another one. Girls Like Us by Rachel Lloyd are just some of the books that I read, and I have quite, quite the stack of them. But knowing that that was something that was really gripping my heart and explaining that to Mike, he took that one step further. And he, he said, you know what? You've been following me around the country for three decades now. It's my turn to follow you. And if we can find an opportunity where you can dive into this world to make a difference, then I am behind you. And so that was an incredible moment. And I stepped back from that. I said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take you away from what I know is your passion and your success. and and working with um, young people and creating these incredible teams. But he took it on himself to start entertaining options perhaps that would have a tie to sex trafficking in the same area. And so that's how we ended up in Atlanta because he saw that there was an opportunity and was offered an opportunity at Greater Atlanta Christian, which is an incredible program. And that first year they they won the state championship, which is fantastic. Um, But what that did is allow me to to step back from the corporate world and dive into being a part of, hopefully, um, an industry that's making a difference for the women, the girls, the boys that have been trafficked.
0: It's extremely noble what you do and, and the passion that you have for it. Um, you've landed in Atlanta for a nonprofit organization mm-hmm. called Wellsprings Living. Mm-hmm. Describe a little bit of, of your role with that organization okay. and their impact on human trafficking, not just here in Atlanta, but across the nation too. As well. Okay.
1: Yeah. Wellspring Living is a fantastic organization that was started in 2001. And what I do for them is I'm a logistics program coordinator. That means a whole lot of different things. But some of the, some of the things that I do is I make sure that the residences that we have are, are safe. Are operational, the vehicles that we have as well, and I help to write policies, I help to organize, uh, maybe streamline some of the processes, identify processes that need to be communicated and documented and streamlined, work with volunteer groups, work with donations that come in. Uh, right now we're in the midst of a Christmas drive, and so I am turning the, the lead reins over for Christmas over to another colleague, but in the meantime I'm still being able to have those conversations. But what Wellspring Living does, um, we have two community programs in the Atlanta area. One that is operating out of an alternative high school. And the first first kid that walked through our doors in in the campus was a boy. And we provide counseling for them, job services. uh, The whole population of that school is free or reduced lunch. And so there's homelessness in that school. And so we support those kids in any way that we can because they're the most vulnerable to being trafficked. And so what our group is doing there is fantastic. We have a women's academy as well that serves women all across Atlanta in 10 week sessions. They can come to get their GED. They can then go to get an apprenticeship. And we have apprenticeships that are in Delta that are with Accenture, that are with um, predominant law firms, with other organizations around the city that give these girls incredible opportunities to get resume building material. We can, they can, um, before that we will have trained them with Microsoft Office and and partner with other folks to provide them with wardrobes and office skills, et cetera. But then they apprenticeship um, with these organizations so that when they leave, they will have good resume, they will have job skills that get them sustainable living jobs where they can afford an apartment, they can get their children to come back and live with them. So it's pretty, it's pretty incredible what that community partnership is doing with the women in Atlanta. So we also have four residential programs. Two of them are for the women, um, one 18 to 21 and one 18 to 39. Uh, one on the south side, one on the north side of the city. We also have a girls' residential program on the south side of the city that serves girls ages 12 to 17. But our newest endeavor, besides a graduate, I'm sorry, a fifth residence, a graduate village that's made up of tiny homes up in the northwest side of Atlanta that serves our graduates, we have something called the Receiving Hope Center. And it is a new venture that opened not even a year ago that serves all trafficked youth within the uh, state of Georgia. It is not, this is a prototype, it's the first of its kind in the state of Georgia and across the country where we've partnered with, uh, it's a public-private partnership. And we work with the GBI, we work with DFACS, we work with a psychiatric provider, with healthcare providers. We have forensics team as well that come in. And so what this is is what we could call a one-stop shop where a kid that's trafficked doesn't have to be re-traumatized by then going to another police station or going again for a forensic interview or going to get a sex abuse exam at a hospital. They can come, they can come into our intake facility, they can get a blanket, a stuffed animal, they can stay there while they while well, people come to them, professionals come to them to help them. Then they can live there for 30 to 90 days while they're stabilizing, kind of coming to grips with the fact that now they've got a spot where they're safe. They can do their forensic interview there. They can get counseling. They can do group therapy. They can, within 24 hours, they can be enrolled in, um, back into school. Mm-hmm. They can start to normalize their life, catch their breath, and figure out what's going on. And so that's our latest endeavor, which we're super excited about.
0: Wow, that's mm-hmm. that's phenomenal stuff. Mm-hmm. And from an outsider, that probably more ignorant than anybody else. It sounds like your your business and your organization is growing because yeah. there's more awareness on yeah. the topic of human trafficking. And I'm going to say recently, not like 10 years, within the last two to five years, has this really become a topic? Yeah. Is is it one of those things where like law enforcement is getting smarter? about how to fight human trafficking? Or is the community and the citizens that are now more aware and vigilant of a topic like this?
1: I think it's a combination of things. The reason why Wellspring Living was started in 2001 is because when a kid was picked up for trafficking, they were immediately put into a juvenile detention facility. Mm. They didn't know what else to do with them. But we realized that no, that these kids are the victims. So, laws, so since that time, a lot of citizens, a lot of professionals, a lot of lawmakers have put a lot of time into changing the laws that now recognizes that those people that are picked up are not the perpetrators. Those are the people that are buying these people. Those are the people that are pimping these people. But these people are victims that really are survivors that need good care, that need counseling, that need restorative services so that they can catch a good look at who they really are, that they can heal, that they can then live and dream again. That's what our goal is. And so it's a combination of community understanding what's going on, um, educating teachers, educating People in hospitals, educating doctors, educating law enforcement, so that they can understand the sign, uh, the signs of trafficking. I was sitting in in Chicago and uh, in a, a forum where probation officers, parole officers, other folks were coming together, and they did not know. Some of these people did not know the signs of trafficking. They did not understand that if you see certain tattoos, if you see barcodes on a neck, if you see. Uh, just different, if if someone all of a sudden shows up to school with brand new styled hair and nails and a lot of things that you know that is not something their family can afford, that there's different signs to, to point to the fact that this person is being trafficked. And so it's a combination of awareness, of being proactive, of laws that are being changed, um, and then people donating towards organization that are raising awareness and that are providing the care that's needed to help these to help provide for these victims, the survivors actually.
0: Because I think half the story, and you, you've done a great example of explaining, half the story is when we read the headline or watch the news, recently in August, 39 kids yeah. were rescued in, in Atlanta and Macon, yeah. and it, it hit the 24-hour news cycle, mm-hmm. but then what? The, the but right. then what is where someone like Wellsprings living really kicks into gear mm-hmm. and and helps these victims as you say normalize.
1: Exactly. So before that sting happened, we were we were um given a heads up just so that we would know that we were going to have an influx of kids coming through. And so that was good that was good to know so we could prepare and other organizations could prepare to receive. We're always prepared but it was just good to have that heads up.
0: Yeah. yeah. You, you, you bring up a topic, and, and I'm going to use this opportunity, whether they tune out or not, I, I have to. Because there's been so much new uh, awareness brought to human trafficking and, and, and sex trafficking, I, I think it's smart to use our opportunity our platform to ask you what are some of those symptoms. Because some of them, it may be it's happening in our communities. I mean, yeah. it's happening in our neighborhoods. As scary as that sounds... Human trafficking isn't a, a, a Liam Neeson, Neeson movie that we see, <laughs> Exactly, and we're not asking people to arm themselves and kick down doors. Right. There's a way to be vigilant and aware of your surroundings to where the red flag goes up. Like you said, you mentioned the tattoos. That's not normal. Maybe let me ask them questions here. What are some yeah. of the questions you can ask, and what are some of the symptoms that people can look out for?
1: So that's a great question, and it's multifaceted for sure. Um uh, what I'll do is I, f- I think I'll explain a little bit and then give some resources for folks so that they can then do a lot of research. I think I'm I'm going to speak especially to to parents, you know, to do as much as you can to learn about this topic so that you can recognize signs, but also to the teenagers out there so they can recognize the sign in their friends, the signs in their friends because you Unfortunately, kids in high school can be the victims and still live in a lovely suburban life. So if there's kids that are falling asleep in class, no, that doesn't mean if I fell asleep in class just because I stayed up too late, I was too tired. But if if you see signs of kids that are falling asleep in class a lot, um, if you see if you see signs of people coming with a lot of new gear or someone just shows up with a lot of bruises or it's a super hot day and they are covered up. Those are just a few things. Yeah, new tattoos, barcodes on the neck. You know, we could start with that. But there's some fantastic resources out there. Um, You know, our our website, wellspringliving.org, we have resources on that. Streetwise, or I'm sorry, Street Grace in Atlanta, they also have a lot of good resources. They're dedicated to the prevention and awareness of trafficking, whereas Wellspring Living is dealing with the restorative side. But Million Kids out of Riverside, California is also doing a great job with educating folks as to what's really going on out there. So I would say starting with um, the books I mentioned earlier and then going and doing a lot of research would be really helpful because grooming happens in the chat rooms. Grooming happens on Facebook, it happens with kids that are kind of wandering by themselves, maybe taking the train back and forth by themselves. Someone that looks like, a kid that looks like they're having a really rotten day, well, it's easy enough for someone to come along and befriend those kids. Kids that are runaways are targeted at a pretty high rate as well. Um, There's just a lot, even in gaming rooms. So a lot of online gaming, a lot of predators troll the online gaming sites, befriend kids. It's called grooming. It doesn't come with being snatched, like you said, is in the movie Taken, mm-hmm. but coming across, learning about kids, finding them in these rooms, in online gaming situations, and befriending them over time, over weeks, over months. And then they become a trusted person, someone that a kid's never seen before, don't even know what they look like. They become trusted, and so that's another way to to reel kids in. So. I guess the probably the last thing is, unfortunately, happens in families. So if there's abuse happening in the home, then that is just uh, probably a, a pressure cooker for, you know, kind of perpetuating that activity outside of the home. And so, if you know of a kid that's being abused at home, if a kid can find somebody that's trusted, then getting help at that point in time before they become super vulnerable beyond where they are already
0: Barbara you mentioned we, we talked about we see the news headline you know mm-hmm. the news cycle 39 kids in Georgia rescued that's when your organization kicks in mm-hmm. in Wellsprings living at a certain point they they normalize as you say and they get out into the real world do you mm-hmm. ever hear back from some of those people that are part of your program like I'm sure you hear the, the, the I can I can imagine the headline of email says, Man, you saved my life, <laughs> literally and figuratively. But yeah. do you ever get some feedback? Are there are there some tremendous success stories yeah. out there for your program?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking. Some of those you can see online at our uh, at wellspringliving.org, which is which is fantastic to hear where these women have been, uh, their journey to where they are now, and the successes they've been able to. The journey, the ups and the downs, of the successes they've been able to achieve. Uh, there's, There are some that I've been able to meet with after the fact that we've just kind of run across each other's paths, which has been a joy to hear from them. Uh, there's a few that have become, I guess, spokespeople for, for being advocates for those that have been trafficked. And, and one in particular um, was able, actually a couple of them were able to meet with the Human Traffic Coalition coalition that met at our facility in January that was sponsored by Ivanka Trump. She came with uh, along with our governor and the first lady. The first lady has been really instrumental in pulling together a lot of the organizations within Georgia that are working with anti-trafficking, pulling us all together to be a big cohesive unit that's serving these folks. So together, um, a couple of these survivors were able to tell their stories, to be good advocates, and one of them is actually the director of our women's program now. And then this other young lady that I was thinking about, um, together with this director, they were able to go to Washington, D.C. and speak at the White House on, on behalf of those that are trafficked to say, these are the things that, this is where I've been, this is where we've been, this is what helped us, this is what needs to happen, and so Hearing from those that have grown up through the program, gone off on their own, and then come back to be help in the program and then also in the community has been fantastic to see and very valuable because they know firsthand what it takes and what's needed.
0: Barbara, thank you so much for being on the show here today. Certainly appreciate your time and taking out of your busy schedule and and what you do uh, to support the Grizzlies and what you do for this community in Atlanta. Uh, certainly greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I've loved being here, having a conversation with you. I
0: appreciate it. I, I don't know if you guys are planning to adopt anytime soon, officially, unofficially. <laughs> if you want to adopt another Giuliano, I, I am here and available. If you need, if you need
1: Thank joy. you. We will keep that in consideration. I appreciate it. Costume, soccer. I mean, you're speaking all of perfect.
0: Right. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Thank
1: you.